1: Clueless podcast host nearly vindicated, but the guest Jinx that remains undefeated. This is the Arsenal Vision Euro 2020 Daily. My name is Eli Smith the Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, uh, when we did our preview of this tournament, I was whining and complaining that one of the Titans could crash out from the group of death, and it's a shame that they can't all qualify because I'm clueless, and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that four out of the six third place teams qualify. But I nearly got my vindication today as Germany, at one point, and then Portugal, and then Germany again clung to life nearly crashing out but they did get through all the titans are through from the group of death but the guest jinx you may have heard of it a man who knows everything about european football but the tournament hasn't always been so nice to his predictions told us that we would want to swerve boring boring sweden and oh my did they deliver the drama of the day or or certainly up there in a day of drama at the euros and so very excited about that, and very excited to hear about the continuing jinxing efforts of Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil.
2: Thanks for that, Elliot. Much appreciated.
1: I, yeah. I I'm happy to contribute. Did you Did you enjoy boring, boring Sweden today?
2: I well, I I did actually. I thought it was a, a fun game. I mean, obviously there was five goals, so you can't really complain. But you know, we can delve into them a bit after.
1: Yeah, well, I think we certainly will do that. And um I just want to thank the Highbury Librarian again. For those of you who uh, don't follow him on Twitter, uh- awesome guy, um, you know, just part of the, the Arsenal community on social media, and you should follow him at N5 Librarian. Uh, he is the one who came up with the bingo mug concept, the bingo card that became the bingo mug on our shop, that really is the only reason we, we now have one, and and now is spawning all kinds of fun, silly ideas for stuff that we're going to have available uh, that make me laugh, which uh, is important. But I do want to thank him. He's getting a mug, uh, and and our undying gratitude, and uh, if you like it, you certainly can pick that up too by just going to Podcast castcom and clicking on shop and having a look and uh, Brandon McKenna the brilliant designer behind all the stuff there so let's go we've got a Vegas event to tell you about as well I'll do more of that on the main pod tomorrow there will be a main pod tomorrow so uh, look forward to that but yeah August 20 to 22nd in Las Vegas we play Chelsea that weekend on Sunday gonna be some killer watch parties um, some live pods some cocktail parties uh, FIFA tournaments all kinds of good stuff and I'm looking forward to it I hope we will get a chance to see you there more on that and on okay so Let's start with the group of death. Phil, it's it's a day that winds up, I guess, leaving us with exactly what you might have expected. I mean, maybe not the exact positioning, but France, Portugal, and Germany are through. Germany get to play the nil-nil with England before knocking them out on penalties in the next round. But let's talk Germany first. This was far from vintage. Um You know They get a very, very lucky opening goal and maybe even a little bit fortunate with the second, although that's a bit better play. Never really threatened, and this reminded me more of the Germany that played France. Everything's sort of funneling out wide, um, not a lot of central penetration and creativity. So do you think that maybe just the combination of Portugal's system really being exploited by the wingbacks against Germany, and Semedo in particular, overstated the the German Renaissance? Do they have a a central space attacking problem with the system they're using? What did did you think was the problem for them today?
2: I don't know. I I think you've kind of got it right there in what you said. Um, This was kind of Germany that we saw in the opening game, lacking a bit of um, incision through the center. And that's, you know, that's fine. I will say, first of all, Hungary were incredible. Again, like they've given every single team in this group a run for their money. And I was just super impressed, and actually quite bummed out that they that they ended up falling out of the of the group in in last place because I really think they deserved more. Um, but yeah, in terms of Germany, it was more of that slow, ponderous play. They didn't really um, get their get their front men involved. Gnabry, Kai Havertz, you know, they were kind of passengers, and then it was just going out wide and then coming back into the middle again. And yeah, I'm. Maybe it was just that particular day against Portugal where everything clicked. Um, Obviously, we know what happened with Semedo and that huge gap down the left-hand side that was seemingly there every time they went forward. But I don't know, I just found them a bit more zippy, a bit more fresh um, against Portugal. And today they were kind of, um, I mean, they started well and then obviously Hungary got their goal and kind of sat in. Um, and they just didn't really have any ideas for that, which, um, yeah, which which kind of took me back to that first game.
1: Is, is it the role of Nabry? I mean, is he not providing a focal point? Or is it the fact that, you know, in a back three, sometimes what happens with those midfielders, Cruz and Gundogan, they can't combine as much with the front line. That that there's, it's not as easy. I mean, maybe I'm talking out of my rear end here, but it, it seems to me that those are players who should be more involved in the attack and and maybe aren't as effective in this system. And do you, do you have a place that you put the blame more on them, not finding more space to operate in that, that part of the pitch?
2: I'm not sure it's difficult because let's face it, when any team kind of um, sort of blocks up the central area, it's, it's very easy to say, Oh, they lack threat from the middle. But when you've got, you know, five defenders and then three, maybe even four, sometimes people standing on the edge of the box. It's not easy because there's no very space.
1: Fair, yeah, so very fair.
2: Mm-hmm. Theoretically, going to the wide areas is not the worst idea, and obviously they've got the wing backs to to kind of thrive with that um, tactic, should we say, with with Gersons and Kimmich. But I don't know. They just there was just something not quite there again. And even when they did get into some some good areas, I mean, Joshua Kimmich. Uh, a couple of times he was free in the right-hand side, but there was no one really in the middle to aim for. And that just, again, kind of um, goes back to their lack of a true number nine because even though Havertz has done a really good job, Gnabry's had some nice moments, there's not that natural instinct to make a run at the near post, for example, or to hold his run to make himself free on the penalty spot. It's just like small things like that that can, you know, that don't sound huge Um but they kind of add up and they can affect teams, right? So, I, maybe, um, again, it's the three at the back, but maybe they're just trying to make the best of what they've got and, you know, if you look at the individuals, there's plenty of attacking talent on that pitch, but I think we kind of saw the two extremes, one against Portugal where everything seemed to work and then sort of against France and again today against Hungary where they were kind of ponderous and lacking a lot of incision. So, Maybe it's just how it is with this system, and they need some time to work on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it. and look, I, I admit, the back three is not my favorite. We've seen some good uses of it in this tournament. I think we've also seen some less good uses of it. And maybe my focus on the, the system is too much. I mean, to be fair, Cruz did have a really nice give-and-go move where he got into the box outside of the foot, just goes wide of the post. Might have certainly changed the narrative around you know what he was doing in the game. Um, I guess then the question is is the bigger concern how easily they were cut apart on the counterattack and is that something that maybe England really have to look at in terms of both personnel and approach because Germany had very few answers for the compact defense and you know the the I would say it wasn't just the two goals but I thought Hungary did look threatening on the counter more than those two occasions
2: Honestly they they've really surprised me um on the break in particular I mean they they just seem to have this like, non-stop energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they, they're so, such a fit team and, you know, it's what we said. They're not just a typical, like, um, sit back and hope for some luck on the break. There was there was some, like, genuine combinations and, you know, I mean, the, the goals, both of the goals, obviously, the second one was kind of a mad moment from, from Manuel Neuer, but Germany had just equalised, right, at this stage and... You know, they're still looking for these balls over the top. They're you know, they were going for it when they found the opportunities. And there was a, you know, a couple of players in particular. I know Saloy is their kind of talisman up front, but uh Roland Shalloy and Andreas Schaefer were were so good. Um and Laszlo Kleinheisler just the energy of these guys might really I felt absolutely gutted for them because they honestly gave everything and they found a lot of success on the break today, but it wasn't just today. They they had opportunities against Portugal, they had opportunities against France. Um so you know they, they more than proved their you know their worth to be in this in this tournament and for sure Germany, I think, particularly with Joshua Kimmich being given license to push forward, it leaves Ginter and even on the other side, Rudiger isolated quite a lot. And when you've got Homels in the middle, who's not exactly the quickest uh, defender, should we say, I think a lot of teams will be looking at that and thinking, hmm, this these wide areas are, are a place for us to exploit, just as if Germany will be thinking it's a strength for them, it can also be a weakness.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and, and I think Neuer deserves a good share of the blame for the second goal. Um, I have to admit, I mean, I do wonder if... There was a feeling that Germany just thought that they would stroll through this game, that maybe they, they mentally weren't prepared for it the way they needed to be. I mean, there was the, the sort of political kerfuffle ahead of it with UEFA not letting them light up the stadium in the rainbow, and um, Germany tweeting out the picture with, you know, ready for the game with the rainbow armband, which, you know, is a nice little mini act of defiance there. And I'm, I'm sure that was on their mind because when Goretzka scores the second goal, I mean, I'm interpreting here, but I do think that that sort of love wins heart sign that he shows as he celebrates was nice to see. And I think it was definitely a pointed gesture. Would Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. No, I, well, I think it was a very obvious gesture actually. Um, look, uh, it, we can speak, we can do a whole pod about UEFA, but you know, I think Germany, the players, the German people, all the fans in the stadium made themselves very clear today. And, and that was really nice to see after what was some uh, top notch cowardice from UEFA during the week.
1: Well said. Couldn't agree more. So yeah, uh, all in all, it works out for Germany um, to go through. I mean, do you do you agree now that we we get the the joke, which is like, what is it? What is a game of football? It's ninety minutes where two teams kick the ball around. At the end, Germany wins on penalties or something like that. So is is that it? Is I mean, should England even step on the <laughs> pitch or is it decided?
2: Well, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Honestly, my brain is still kind of glossed over trying to process everything that happened. I don't think my hands left my keyboard for two hours uh, during those games. So it was amazing, a dramatic, uh, you know, every kind of storyline, every own goal, penalty shout, you know, it was just all happening. And I I loved every minute of it. And I'm, yeah, absolutely gutted for Hungary. But I think it's um, interesting for Germany now because they for sure have to Go back to the drawing board for a couple of things because even though England maybe didn't set the world alight, I think they're a very strong side. And Germany maybe should tweak a couple of ideas because, as we saw tonight, they're far from far from perfect.
1: Yeah, you certainly don't want to go into the knockout rounds having put that performance on the board and feeling like you need to rip it up and start over. I, I think you know the, the England had an interesting night because there was a long period there where I think they were in line to face Hungary. And then in the end, wind up facing Germany, um, and and Portugal and Belgium. I think face each other. We'll come onto that because that obviously means one of the the sort of giant favorites is going to go out in the next round as well. That's two. I mean, if you're if you're France, if you're Italy, you know, if you're well, I was going to say Belgium, but not Belgium. But if you're France and Italy, and you think we're going to get rid of one of Belgium and Portugal and one of England and Germany, that that's a big help <laughs> as you as you try to progress through the tournament. Um, the other game is an interesting one because. There were some really good moments in that game and some moments of real quality, but the penalty shouts obviously sort of were the story early on. It is a tough one, the Larice one, because he, he is entitled to go for the ball and the player is entitled to go for the ball. It was very, very hard to watch. It is a violent collision that is really unpleasant to watch. And yet, I can't decide if... I can't decide if the fact that he goes for a ball that's there to go for and the way it times out he winds up catching Danilo in the head is a penalty or not I I you know I I I think this is a classic case of me being able to be swayed by either argument so which argument do you want to sway me with oh
2: no for me it was a clear penalty okay Um, I
1: I felt that in real time but I have subsequently heard opinions the other direction that I find compelling as well
2: for me, the way I saw it, right, it just, just how you explained it, for example, Larice is going for the ball, Danilo's going for the ball, both perfectly, um, you know, present in the situation and more than entitled to be going for that ball. But it's just like any other, let's say it was between two players. There's a 50-50 in the middle. One player gets there first. The other one is a millisecond late and his leg's broken, you know? They were yeah. both entitled to go for the ball, but one player is late. And it's a foul. That's a great um, and point. And for me... Yeah.
1: <laughs> you can go it for was, it, but just, if you get there second and you punch the guy yeah. in the head, you've just fouled and, him. Yeah. Exactly. And,
2: you know, he was just a split second late. Danilo gets there first. You can see it, the, the contact with the ball off his head. And then Reese just kind of steams through him. And, and it's a clear foul for me. You know, it was... I, I've seen him do it a lot, actually, in the Premier League. But goalkeepers are, are kind of like the untouched men... Of football they can't you know they can do no wrong whether it's jumping for a ball or even you know coming out for for you know a 50 50 on the slide for example they're kind of immune to all fouls and criticism I mean we saw something similar with Jordan Pickford and Virgil van Dyke. I mean that wasn't even given as a penalty and it was one of the most stonewall penalties you'll ever see um so yeah for me this was a, a clear foul a clear penalty and, you know, I don't think there was any intent from, from Juris, but he, he was late and and he caught him and it was there in 4K on the cameras. So, um, thankfully, Danilo is okay because that was a hefty blow. I'm quite glad they took him off at halftime, actually, because it didn't look um, too good afterwards. But, yeah, for me, it was the right decision. And, um, yeah, Ronaldo slots the penalty away. So, fair decision for me.
1: Yeah, I I, <laughs> I guess then the other penalty... This is the way I described it on Twitter, and this is how I feel about it. I don't think it's a penalty, but I also think it is brain-dead defending by Samedo. And what I mean by that is, I think he can run with Mbappe, and and you say, look, nobody can run with Mbappe. But I mean, I think you can run with him. The ball's going beyond him, but the point isn't that he makes the shoulder contact. It's that he puts a little extra stank on it, that he doesn't need to. Like, he makes the shoulder contact, kind of, He he looks at him, shoulders him, and then does that thing with the rest of his arm, where he kind of like, continues pressing him to the ground. So it's like, I think as a defender, if you're going to shoulder charge, you've got to make it look sort of 50-50 and incidental. And you can't make it look like you're throwing the shoulder and the arm into the guy to throw him to the ground. And so, given that a penalty had been given at the other end, and and it's always possible that a referee might want to even it up, although to your point, I think it was probably the right call anyway, um, is it fair to say that that's not something that should be a penalty, but also can can try to make that look less... Like an aggressive move? It just—it felt like he really put some extra stank on it.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm going to disagree with you again. Mm. And I think, you know, I'm all in for dunking on Somedo. I thought he was terrible against Germany. But in this particular situation, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I kind of think he's following the ball and Mbappe. Um, But for me, the way I saw it, I don't think he makes any... Um, sort of movement or gesture towards Mbappe. I think Mbappe runs into Somedo and generates the contact and then falls down like a sack of okay. potatoes.
1: You don't um, think Somedo gives him a little shoulder shiver, the, the arm shiver at the end, the kind of like get off me push kind of thing? I, that I don't know.
2: Not at all. all I right. think he's just stood his ground, honestly. Um, Mbappe's bought that, for me, plain and simple. Um, whether you can, the the conversation can point to Mbappe afterwards and say he was dishonest and cheating, there is another story. Um, but yeah, for me, in terms of the incident in isolation, I think Somedo is just kind of doing his job, um, and, in, and kind of, uh, chaperoning the ball back to Patricio and Mbappe senses the opportunity, makes it look semi-believable and, and La Horta has, has given it there. So for me, that was not a penalty.
1: Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to, we'll come back to Benzema's excellent goal and Pogba's great pass, but I just want to go to the very end of the game for a second. The Bruno Fernandes stomp is a penalty it's not a stomp but you know like that's a penalty like what, yeah. what on earth is going I mean I get that it it wouldn't change who goes through I, and for a moment I thought it denied Hungary a place then I realized it didn't I don't think it, I don't think it did mm-hmm. no. um it would have adjusted the seating I think but like or maybe not even but that's it, it, the point of a penalty isn't it
2: <laughs> It was clear for me and actually he he has one go at him first on the shoulder outside of the box and then that like Weird rake down the back of his calf. Um, I don't know why he's even trying that in the 93rd minute. Like what are you doing? Um, and then he gets
1: mad at the player. Like that, yeah, that and then he, yeah.
2: I think for me that's just kind of like you know when players go down and they pretend to be injured to pretending try and pretending like, to take be mad is trying to like he, uh, yeah. protest yeah. his innocence, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he was giving Coleman a bit of the get up, you know, to try and maybe divert the referee's attention. But yeah, I was I thought he was really lucky in that situation. Um, And, you know, uh, they didn't give it, but maybe there was a kind of reluctance to give it. Obviously we don't know what they're saying behind the scenes, but for me, he was a very lucky boy and I would have been rather frustrated if that was England not getting that penalty.
1: All right. So let's back up a little. Um, I think a couple of things, you know, I've always thought it's interesting seeing Tolisso start for France. Um, It feels just a, titch conservative. I thought when Coleman came on that obviously added a little bit of a different look, a different threat to them. Um, but the player for me that, that really has been France's star for the group stage is Pogba. And I have to admit, I've always liked Pogba and I've always thought that the Pogba slander is totally unnecessary and misunderstands the player. He has a sort of languid style that I think can lead to him being criticized for not trying. I've always thought that those kind of body language assessments are, are silly, uh, we we may have had a player like that at Arsenal that, that got some body language assessments really? from time Hard to time. No, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. No, it's fine. Move on. Um but yeah, I think Pogba gets to play a little freer role, a little further up the pitch for for France. And I mean the the shot that's saved is is just a beautiful shimmy to free himself and and an, and a lovely swing through the ball. The pass to Benzema, all Benzema has to do, I mean, there's nothing he can do but put it in the far post. It literally. It, you know what it reminds me of? There's a game that they play in Canada and actually here in Minnesota called curling where you push a rock on ice mm-hmm. and you try mm-hmm. to twist the rock and have it just like slide into a position between other rocks. It's really a ridiculous game, frankly. But it, it reminded yeah. me of that because it not only is a through ball, but it's a through ball that then like fades right onto Benzema's foot for the shot. It's it's sensational. And, and look, France have to be thrilled with Benzema getting two goals here. You know, and and now that doesn't have to be a storyline. But for me, it's it's Pogba's brilliance, and I I thought he was great in the group stage.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, his touch, his technique. Obviously, he can can hold himself well. He's a, he's a big old unit as well, so he's kind of the the complete package. And it's you know we've already seen one incredible uh, pass, um, obviously to Mbappe in, in the first game against Germany when he kind of you know, even defied the TV cameras by picking out Mbappe on that, or was it Hernandez on the left side? Um, and then today's one is just perfection. I mean, the the vision and the technique to be able to execute something like that and, you know, it, Benzema not even having to break stride, you know, actually going back to the curling, it was like they had those two guys, you know, with yeah, the...
1: Scraping the ice or um, brushing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was literally like that,
2: putting <laughs> it on a dime. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Benzema finished it brilliantly. But I think that pass, not just to Benzema, I think they tried it with a few times with Mbappe as well down the left. They kind of just gave him uh, sort of quarterback responsibilities to kind of, you know, pick out those two on the run. And we saw a a small vulnerability today for Portugal in behind Pepe and Ruben Diaz, who maybe aren't the quickest. Um, So I think that's something to look out for. But, yeah, I've really enjoyed watching Pogba. And he kind of looks free and you know there's like a lot of weight off his shoulders when he plays for France that I that I sometimes see at United when everybody's on his back all the time and he's played left, he's played you know number 10, I think just leave him there in a deep position, have someone running around him like Kante and just watch him make magic with the ball and I think that was another perfect example of him doing it today
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a player that I look forward to him leaving United so I can just unabashedly enjoy him again but I like that he doesn't play this role or this well for United. So that's fine with me as well. Um, do you have any other things to pick out from from the France game? I mean, I think, you know, there's for, for Portugal, they seem to have abandoned playing with two DMs. And I think it worked. Mm-hmm. I think it is interesting that they, they actually look pretty good without Bruno Fernandes on the pitch. And the funny thing about Fernandes is, like, I can't deny his quality, but I do think that there are times when he can just drift through a game kind of being invisible. Um, Where do you think this leaves them? Because I thought they played pretty well. They did that without Fernandez. Certainly the 2-DM thing I don't think was effective. So I think Portugal are also in sort of an interesting position where they had a plan, they came into the tournament, they used that plan to acceptable effect in the first game, but got brutalized in the second game. And today looked a little better doing something different. So do you have a sense of where they might go from here? Because you know, I think Bruno Fernandes would be pretty frustrated to to miss out on the Belgium game, but I could certainly see it happening.
2: Yeah, I think you've raised a couple of interesting points there, actually. Um, For me, the Bruno Fernandes decision, I was not totally surprised by it because I don't want this to sound like Salty or my Arsenal allegiance coming through. I just think that him and Ronaldo are too similar Mm. because they kind of they're there, but they don't get overly involved on the ball. They don't, um, they're not sort of bouncing around looking for one-touch passes and linking play. These guys are end-product guys who will be quiet, 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 and then all of a sudden they'll whack in a shot from 30 yards. And I just think Portugal couldn't really afford to have two of those kind of players on the pitch, um, which is why they've sort of gone with Bernardo Silva um, on the right, who's very touch-heavy, smooth player, but also Jota, even though he's um, an inside forward, he's still very much involved in the play. So I think Bruno Fernandes is the natural one to fall out because I think with he and Ronaldo being too similar in that kind of sense, they didn't need that. I mean, we saw it with Ronaldo today. He wasn't overly involved in it. He scored the two penalties, nearly scored an amazing header when he somehow leapt over Presno Kimpembe. Um, so, yeah, for me, that was kind of the reasoning behind Bruno falling out of the side. And the other one was hashtag free Renato Sanchez, who had a storming game in the middle. Um, there was an interesting article written by Yaya Toure this week on The Athletic about players using their their backsides. And I think <laughs> um, watching Renato Sanchez for that first 45 minutes, you saw him do it about four or five times when players were just bouncing off him. Um And for me, he was the real bright spark for Portugal today. He was tenacious, winning his duels. He was driving in transition. He had some really nice moments where he was just breezing past players. And I think he's full of confidence after maybe um, not being in the side during the first sort of game and a half. I know he came on in the second half um, against Hungary. But for me now, he's played his way into that starting eleven. And I, I thought Renato Sanchez was brilliant today. And he's essentially for me one of the perfect um number 8 number uh, box to box to box uh, and portugal realized that i think and he was he was brilliant
1: um let me ask you a really silly question i know he got all the goals cuz from the penalty spot he's unstoppable but like i think ronaldo is is pretty diminished i know that's silly to say i mean he's he's about to break the record for for goals in, in your european competition history and you know, he, he leads the, the tournament goals. He's probably going to win the Golden Boot. So this all sounds silly. But other than stepping up to the penalty spot and slotting home, like I, I can't help but feel that he he is a player that they have to sort of accommodate in some ways. I mean, is there any sense for you that, look, he's an amazing goal scorer he has to play, but that Portugal could be ready to graduate from, from Ronaldo and that that may be a good thing for them pretty soon?
2: Yeah, of course. Eventually they'll need to move on, but I don't think they, they accommodate him. I just think they've built around him cleverly, you know, because he's 36. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure what people expect him to do anymore. For me, it's just sensible planning to have guys who can kind of run around him and create around him and then just have him there in the, in the box when, when you need to score because the legs may have gone, um, you know, in terms of running in behind or, or for example, playing on the left but you can't deny his his nose for goals. And if you've got crossing into the box, he can win the headers. If if you need him on free kicks and penalties, he can score those. If you need him to do the tap-ins, he can score those. It was quite similar to how Leicester managed Jamie Vardy and how badly we managed Aubameyang. Um, You know, aging strikers, they lose their legs, um, but they don't lose the mental, you know. And for me, he's in the right place to do most damage because he's not doing anything else apart from scoring the goals. So for me, it's just sensible squad planning. And it's what you do when you have an older striker, right? You, you just get the guys around them to buzz around and hopefully with some good service, they could still bang in the goals. So I don't see too much of an issue with it. And I think he'll probably end up golden boot winner at this stage.
1: Yeah. I'm probably being silly to be fair. It's, you know what it is? It's like there were a couple counter counterattacks and a couple sort of breaks that they had where the ball came to Ronaldo and he, he, he just wouldn't, he never got past the first guy. You know, he had the ball taken off his toe. He tried to cut inside, couldn't couldn't beat a man. And the, the attacks broke down. And it's just interesting to see, you know, he really is an end, an end product monster. So he, I understand why you want him in there, but he doesn't get past that first guy anymore. That's that's really not part of his game now. And it's not even a speed thing. It just doesn't seem to, to have the, I don't know if it's a close control thing or a burst. Just interesting to me as I watch. And I do have to admit that like, any Bruno Fernandez slander is, is welcome here for me. And, and if he misses out on their next game, so be it. I'd be fine with that. Um, any lasting thoughts from, from the group of death? I mean, do you have anything else you want to say about this? Is, coming out of this, is France still arguably the, the strongest team that you've seen?
2: <sighs> I mean, I, I, I've said on a couple of occasions that I think France can go up a level. But three games is a decent sample size and I haven't seen it yet. Mm. So I'm not particularly sure what, they're trying to do. Um, I think they're weak in fallback areas. I mean, Luca Dina was injured today, which is a big blow because he's quite good from from an attacking sense. I think Lucas Hernandez is a capable left-back, but he's not um, an attacking threat. He's very much a defence-first kind of guy. And at right-back, I thought Koundé, really exciting young player, but he struggled at right-back today. His body was kind of stiff by the touchline. His first touch was wrong. The way he received the ball was wrong. And it's a big ask, you know, to to go from centre-back to right-back because there's so much demanded of the position now. So just a couple of things for me to look out for. Um, but As we've seen today, they always have the quality in those sort of specific moments, whether it's Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann, Benzema, who can make the difference. But... For me, I'd just like to see a little bit more from their overall play.
1: I don't know if it suits their talent, but I still think that Kylian Mbappe can be a center forward and probably should be the center forward. Um, you know, he can impact a game from anywhere on the pitch. But I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just the, the Thierry Henry fan in me. And granted, he played in a four 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 two mostly, and then for Barcelona off the left. But I, I think, I think he could play center forward. But I'm, I'm not sure they have the the other players to accommodate that. And I don't know that that works for Griezmann. So. We'll see what France do. I, I can't help but think another coach other than Deschamps could make them a lot more fun, but they certainly are functional, um, and that's good enough to win a tournament as we saw from Portugal last time around. So <laughs> I guess before we move on to um, what happened with with Spain and Sweden, which was also a lot of fun, just real quick now, Belgium and Portugal, England and Germany. I mean, these are, these are games that could have been finals. They're going to be in the first knockout round. Do you have an early thought on who has the edge in those matchups?
2: Well, I think in terms of Belgium and Portugal, I think Belgium have looked better for me um, on the whole. I don't think Portugal have been bad, but they've kind of been a bit patchy. I think they've had some good spells and some bad spells and some nothing spells. Um, On the break, I think Portugal can be very dangerous. We've seen it a couple of times already. Um, and if they can fine-tune that midfield, I think then they've got as good a chance as any because I trust their defence, even though they've had a few shaky moments. Uh, I think for me, Portugal is all about being able to sustain pressure and I think they, they can do that much easier when they have three in midfield. Um, but Belgium, you know, they've got Lukaku in, in top form, they've got De Bruyne coming in, they've they've finally settled in midfield with Axel Witzel there, so I think on first look I think Belgium just have the edge but I think as a more rounded threat Portugal are just ahead of Belgium for me in my Interesting. estimation.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um and as far as England Germany like do do you think it could help England to not be the team with the burden to take the game to the other team? I just there are times when I watch England against lesser opposition where the burden is on them to create the flair and the excitement and and take it to the other team where I think it doesn't always come off, but maybe playing a team like Germany that's been a little ropey defensively on the counter and that's probably going to have a bit more of the ball, I mean, is it possible that that will suit England a little better? They certainly have players on the outside who can give Germany a lot of trouble going the other direction.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe a lot in England's attacking options. I think they have a nice blend of attributes. They kind of have playmakers. They have... Inside forwards, they have a nice deep-lying striker. They have another striker who's a lot more predatory, so they can go a lot of different ways. um, If should Southgate choose to do that, I'm not sure he will. Um, But yeah, for sure, I think England, as we've seen today, there's space in in the in the wide areas against Germany because because of their new system where they like to push up their wing backs. So if England can identify Matthias Ginter or Antonio Rudiger as kind of weak links, and particularly in midfield with Tony Kroos and Ilkay Gundogan not being the, the most athletic players, you know there's definitely opportunities for them on the counter. But I think England will, will face a new threat as well because Germany kind of come at you from all angles when they're flying, and everybody's you know on song. They have Sane, they have Gnabry, they have Havertz, they have the wing backs. They can score goals from deep with Gundogan and Goretzka. So for me, this is a very even game. Um, and I think um, it's it's probably more even than than some of the other ones. But I'm looking forward to it because it could be two um, kind of different styles, different um, qualities, shall we say, within their within their sides. But maybe that could either clash or they could completely nullify each other. I'm not sure how it's going to go yet.
1: Yeah, the, the thing I'll say, you know, look, Tottenham played some dire football all season long. But the one thing Kane was really good at was they'd kick it long to him. He'd win the first ball, knock it down to Son and then on they would go. And, you know, if Kane can sort of post up against Germany's center backs and, and collect the ball long and distribute to Sterling or Sacco, or if it's Foden, you know, whoever it is, or lay it off to Grealish to then play in those, those, uh, wingers against the exposed flanks. Like I, you know, I, 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 Kane has not been much of a factor in the tournament so far, but that feels like a role that could actually really suit him. Um, So I don't know. We'll see. It's a tough one for me because obviously, like we know, this is going to be nil-nil with Germany winning on penalties. But I I could see this suiting England. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. All right. On the other, uh, in the earlier games today, what a turnaround for Spain. I mean, it it is funny how narrative works, Phil, because tournaments are small sample sizes, and so the narrative is developed very, very quickly. Germany are a machine again after dismantling Portugal. Now they're in disarray after nearly crashing out. Spain really dominated their first two games in some ways, but looked like they were just what we thought they'd be, which is a lot of possession with no end product. Well, when you have a lot of possession and all the end products, suddenly those fears feel overstated. And so my question for you today isn't just, were you impressed with Spain? I mean, the answer is obviously yes, but does does the fact that all the end product came today in sort of a, a, a downpour, maybe recast some of the frustration from the opening two games, as being more unlucky than poor play?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, I will say that Slovakia were absolutely dreadful today. Um, Probably one of the worst performances, if not the worst performances, I've seen at the tournament so far, and that includes my uh, best Turkey. friends, Turkey. Um, <laughs> I thought Slovakia were honestly dreadful. Um, we haven't, see, we didn't see any of the grit or determination or speed on the break that we'd seen in the previous two games. And they deserved everything they got today. So let's just get that out of the way. I'm not taking anything away from Spain, who seemed to click very quickly. And they just didn't let up for the whole game. I thought one crucial thing for me was the return of Sergio Busquets. Um, Rodri, you know, clearly talented, but, you know, there's a huge gap between what he does and what Sergio Busquets does. And I thought he was kind of the glue, not only in midfield, but the way he progresses the ball, um, the way he recycles the ball, the way he picks it up when it's loose. I thought he was just so crucial to how Spain penned Slovakia back in. You know, they could not get out. Um, so I think that was really big for for Spain. And more importantly, there was just a general confidence about the side. I mean, I know they missed another penalty, which probably didn't do Murata um, such a world of good, especially with um, his first two games being so difficult. But yeah, I think Gerard Moreno was good, Pablo Sarabia was good, and he got his goal obviously. And for me, Pedri again. Yeah, he was. I great, mean, I don't know. Specific. I don't know if there are any compilations going around before they get copyrighted by the bad lads at UEFA. But for me, he was just so good in that kind of left half space, the number eight, the number 10. He didn't score and and he didn't assist, but he was always the pass before the assist. You know, just the way he, just the way he sees the game. Like we spoke about Saka yesterday. These guys are teenagers and they're so intelligent. Genuinely. Like it was like watching Andres Iniesta today and I'm, you know, he's just so, so good. I could speak about him for, for the whole podcast, really, but I thought the midfield was was the game-changer today for Spain and obviously scoring five goals is is never going to be a bad thing. So I think that they've kind of peaked just at the right time because heading into the knockout stages, they've got Croatia and they've, they've seemed to have found a bit of form. So, yeah, really good performance from them and they deserve to, to win by that margin because Slovakia were terrible and they were excellent. So
1: Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> that first goal. <laughs> I mean, Spain needed something, right? They, they needed something to just take the pressure off. That helps. Yeah. When I something mean, like that happens. I mean, is, is that really it, what like it was? It he... that then the, then the, the handbrake was off, you know?
2: Yeah, potentially. I mean, as you said, that was a horrendous mistake from Dubravka. Even the second goal, just before halftime, he just kind of ran out. And I was like, what are you doing? He just left the goal completely a- alone um, and Moreno wasn't going anywhere, but obviously Laporte guided an excellent header into the corner. I mean, the, the pick of the bunch for me was Ferran Torres's goal. Just come onto the pitch um, and they put together a lovely move um, down from the corner of the pitch, Sarabia to Pedri, Pedri back to Sarabia. And then a, an actually really intelligent run from Ferran Torres who gets to the front post and then it's a lovely finish. So that was the Spain we know. That was the Spain we, we expect um, and even if they got lucky a couple of times with with two own goals and another goalkeeping mistake, they just kind of put so much pressure on Slovakia. And maybe mentally that took its toll in, in the hot weather because it was scorching today in Seville. So um, yeah, really good from them, and hopefully they can kind of use that as a as a platform to to improve later on in the tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, I think that forces us to look at the Sweden game and for you to explain yourself again, a kid, um, (laughs) you had, you had blamed Sweden for being boring. Now to be fair, I think the reason this was exciting is not so much Sweden, so much as a circumstance, but they get ahead early and things look pretty bleak for Poland. And then Lewandowski shows up. And for a brief moment there, I really thought they were going to do it. And that the Lewandowski, um, aura was going to grow for lack of a better way to say it. I mean, how how did you experience this? Is the story of this game for you Lewandowski? I mean obviously the story is Sweden going through, but but that was that was that was a special sort of fifteen, twenty minutes there where it looked like he was gonna take this on his on his shoulders and do it himself.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean that first goal was was incredible and from nothing really because essentially Poland have given him nothing um this whole tournament. I know he had that crazy double miss um when he hit the crossbar twice in two seconds um which I was just expecting the net to bulge after that but you know the first goal to cut inside whip it into the top corner and then all of a sudden Poland and thinking all right maybe we've got something here and then he scores the second another really nice spin and shot after ghosting in and yeah you in those sort of few moments you really saw his quality and I kind of felt a bit sorry for him because there's just nothing else around him um if you look at the, the team, I mean, there's, they
1: put in a lot of good mm. crosses though. I mean, I kept expecting yeah. it to find someone's head, you know?
2: No, no. I mean, for the me, in-swingers. they were, they put more pressure on Sweden than Sweden put on Poland. I mean, I will say, I know they scored three goals today, but they've only had eight shots on target in three games. Mm, I mean, that's not good. Come on. That's not like sustainable in any way. Um, and I think in particularly against Sweden uh, against Spain, sorry, and today, Robin Olsen was called on a lot to make saves. Um so this is not I wasn't just like criticizing Sweden for the sake of it. I'd watched them and I genuinely didn't feel inspired by them at all. And today was much of the same. I mean they had quality, particularly in Emil Forsberg to and Dayan Kulusevsky when he came on, you know, they were the guys who ended up making the difference, but I still didn't see anything from them to, to imagine them being a threat in the competition, you know? So obviously that means they're going to win the whole thing now. Um, if my luck carries on like this, but I don't know, uh, a, a, a sort of haven't... a
1: Greece esque victory.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, but yeah, I just, you know, they won well today. They did an amazing job to top the group, but the way they play is not sustainable for me. Um, but yeah, maybe they're going to prove me wrong, and I hope they do. Why not? Everyone else has done it so far, so maybe, <laughs> maybe they can do it as well.
1: Touche. Um, any sneaky uh, knockout round games that maybe I wouldn't be thinking of as fun, you know, or wouldn't be wouldn't catch the headlines, but that you're really as a, a sort of nerdy watcher of the game looking forward to?
2: Well, actually, Wales Denmark. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, I think Denmark, after a really difficult first game, for obvious reasons, they've kind of flown out afterwards and they're this all-action, pressing side who have some really good attacking midfielders, some, you know, all blood and thunder defenders. And I've really enjoyed Denmark. Honestly, they've become one of my favourite teams to watch. Mm. And Wales, for me, I, I never know what to make of them because they shouldn't be this good if that makes sense um but you know they've got the obvious quality in Ramsey, Bale, Dan James um even Kiefer Moore is proving himself to be a handful but I just think as a collective they are so strong and you know is that saying that you're only as strong as some of your parts and I think that's definitely applicable to Wales because you know they just keep getting results yeah. and I think it could be a nice clash of two styles because Denmark like the ball. They have a couple of, you know, tippy-tappy midfielders, particularly Mikkel Damsgaard, who was one to watch and I'm glad we highlighted him in the preview pod um, because he's done an amazing job, especially with the absence of Eriksen. So, yeah, for me, Wales, Denmark could be a real firecracker and obviously with the Netherlands involved as well, I think they're ones to watch. So I think Looking across the ties, I think there's an argument for all of them to be interesting in their own way. But yeah, if you ask me personally, I think Wales-Denmark would be a, an underrated one to watch on Saturday.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something. The underrated one is you, my friend, because you have done an absolute brilliant job in the group stage. And I want to thank you for, for what you've done so far. And uh, uh, prematurely thank you for the job I know you will do in the knockout rounds.
2: No, no my pleasure. It's been actually really fun to come on and and kind of decompress after everything because there's so much to talk about really i could do this for an hour and a half and not even notice um Mm. they've been super fun and i've really enjoyed the tournament on the whole because it's been uh, a lot more energetic and dramatic than i expected because i thought everyone was just going to be kind of filled to the brim with lactic acid you know cramping up every five minutes um but it's been excellent and i've really enjoyed it so yeah pleasure to be on here
1: yeah, it's felt like real football, too. I mean, a tournament with some fans in the stands. It's It's been nice after what we've been through. I really enjoyed it. Look, you've done a, a bang-up job. Do this. Go to the ArsenalVisionPodcast.com site. Click on Shop. Find some merch you like. I'll buy you some merch. You've earned that, at least. You can have a mug or something or a T-shirt. Um, but let's let's leave it there. We will uh, do a main pod tomorrow. Perfect timing, because there's no Euros tomorrow. Uh, so Phil gets a much-needed day off, and then we come back with the knockout rounds, and we'll, we'll cover that in depth, uh, or at least cover it. I can't promise it'll be in depth but we'll cover it one way or the other. phil is on twitter at underscore phil costa thank you phil my pleasure my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter at yankee gunner for those of you who are already eliminated this doesn't apply to you but for the rest of you wherever you are whoever you support remember it's coming home